situation, maybe someone's life, um, and maybe when you're talking to them and they, they sort of they paint a better picture than it really is, you know, when you ask them how you're doing and they sort of tell you, and you realize they're probably they're painting a better picture than it really is. Or if you look at a situation and you say, man, that's just too good to be true. You know, that the way that they've presented that, they're, they're hiding something. There's, there's probably something underneath it, and it doesn't, and, and it doesn't quite feel right. Well, what we're going to do this morning is we're going to look at a passage in Acts chapter 2 and, um, and sort of ask the question, what's wrong with this picture? Is, is, is it just too good to be true? Uh, there's a, a picture of the church that's wonderful. It's magnificent. But we get to ask the question, is it just too good to be true? Or maybe even better, how about what's wrong with this picture? Um, and what we're going to do, and we'll see in Acts chapter 2, and um, starting in verse 42, we're going to see uh, the church of Christ. And the church of Christ, we'll see it operating. Uh, the church is the bride of Jesus. And then we'll see that uh, this picture that's painted for us, we'll see them because they're, they're just like us in the sense that they've gathered for a large gathering like this. And then during the week, they'll meet in each other's homes on, you know, every night. They're gathering together and and, and the, the picture that's painted for us is that we see them gathering in smaller groups. And those groups, those, those times together, are characterized by joy and generosity. Um, they have glad hearts. You know, they, that's the picture that's painted. They're, they're glad hearts. There's generosity. There's joy. And, and, and that when they gather together, it's, it's so amazing that it spills out into the street. And it says, and we'll see, that people on the outside will look at this group and they marvel. They go, wow. I mean, they, I want what they have. And um, as I think about that, and I think about how hard church is, and all the sort of things that can happen in church, I noticed that this time, you guys, the band used to be over here, and it moved over here. And still, there was no church split. So I'm wondering, like, what? <laughs> you know, what is wrong with you people? How'd that happen? But anyway, but, <laughs> you know... You know that there are things that can go wrong in any situation, uh, any kind of social situation, anything. There's stuff that can go wrong. But uh, we're going to see that it's reachable in some way. It's possible. So why don't we do this? If you've already turned there, please do again. Uh, it's, it's Acts chapter 2, uh, starting in verse 42. I'm reading from the uh, English Standard Version. This is the written word of God. And they devoted themselves to the apostles to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing, distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. This is the written word of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, uh, bless the preaching of your word. Uh, may it go forth with power. Father, you know my heart. You know what a mess I am. You know that the things that I think about and the, the, the how I uh, can manipulate and maneuver um, situations and people, and I try to get ahead of you, and, and it's even the case here with this, this message that you've given. And so, Father, um, may I diminish, may I disappear, and let the Spirit speak, and let the Word go forth in power. I pray for that, Father. I desire to see that. I want that so bad, because I know if it's, I'm just giving me, it's, 
I have nothing, nothing to give. So, Father, let your word ring true in our hearts. Let it transform us. Let it be powerful and work through us. Let your spirit just, just go through this room. Uh, Father, we call your spirit down now upon us to fill us, to hear, and to be made alive again in Christ. Amen. Amen. Um, let me ask you this question. I've got to put this thing down, too. It's huge. Don't let it scare you. It's a big Bible, huh? Uh, it's, I, uh, it's in the way, too. Um, but are you familiar with Norman Rockwell? Do you know who Norman Rockwell is? He was a 20th century. Now we can talk about, like, last century now. You know, oh, last century. But um, Norman Rockwell was an American painter, and he painted and depicted American life in a very uh, utopian way. I mean, he, I can still I just remember as a kid seeing a lot of his paintings and of kids playing in the street and just sort of thinking, wow, that would be great. And he, he depicted family life. There was, even in the, the doctor I go to has a, a painting he did of a doctor in a doctor's office with a kid, and it just seems very, like, utopian. And, in fact, that's sort of the things about Norman Rockwell paintings. They were almost they were too good to be true. Uh, in fact, one I think about is uh, he did a series of freedom paintings, and one of them he had. One of them was called "Freedom from Want," and it shows a family at Thanksgiving. It's uh, uh, it's sort of at the, you're, at, you're at the end of a long table, and at the other end of the table is Grandma and Grandpa, and so they're putting this huge turkey down, and all the family are sitting on the either side of the table, and they're smiling, and everything's just going really, really well. I mean, it's a great time, right? Yeah, you're laughing. I mean, I, yeah, because it's. I think that was like a second before everything went wrong. <laughs> you know, Grandma sort of, her arthritis got to her, and the, you know, the turkey fell off. Uncle Fred stood up and announced he was a cross-dresser, you know, and uh, it just all went, you know, it was, that was the second, because it was the second before everything went wrong, because I think of our, maybe the Thanksgivings in your home. Uh, my mom was a great woman, but um, she struggled with being passive-aggressive. Um, and so our gatherings were... Something always kind of went wrong. You know, we had the family together, and there were arguments. And, and, and so we kind of we see Norman Rockwell with his utopian idea, and we kind of go, man, what is, something's wrong. Uh, he's not telling the truth here. There's something that's not quite right. And in fact, I went on the Internet and found this uh, short paragraph about that particular painting about Thanksgiving. You know, it's sort of this wonderful picture of Thanksgiving meal. As an adult, this was the person on the Internet writing about that painting. As an adult, I often thought that Rockwell contributed to making us feel a little inadequate in our family celebrations. <laughs> that we just couldn't live up to Norman's high standards or ideals of an America gone by. The truth about Norman Rockwell's idealized images is sweeter and more innocent, though. Rockwell came from the wrong side of the tracks in New York. His home life was emotionally and economically unstable. Those iconic images, freedom from want, that painting about Thanksgiving, most especially, are his dream of a utopian America. Norman Rockwell was us. Though unrealistic images of American life represent Norman's nostalgia for something he never experienced personally. And that's the funny thing about nostalgia, this person writes. Now, this was a short paragraph right before something. that This, is the, this was a, an event in New York. Um, it was, I guess they would gather people to watch movies and sort of critique it. This was one they were having around Thanksgiving. And so they say, she says, this month, we toast all the Thanksgiving dinners and family celebrations gone wrong <laughs> with our Netflix presentation of Home for the Holidays with some movie where everything goes wrong at the holidays. And they called it Dysfunction Palooza. That was the name of the event. Um, and this is the last line. I love this. Pumpkin pie will be served, but bring your own baggage. See, there we go. There's something real, right? So I think we do that. We're kind of like Norman Rockwell with our lives. We, we try to maybe paint a, 
a better picture of it, or we have this idea of how things should go. And so um, I was thinking recently, in my neighborhood, we live out 431 behind Walmart, sort of Owens Crossroads, and it's a subdivision there. And, um, um, you know, we, I think most of us that moved out there, we thought, well, maybe we can do that with our neighborhoods. We can have a Norman, Norman Rockwell existence out there somehow. Maybe if we just sort of all gather together and make this thing happen. But we had our Norman Rockwell world sort of shattered uh, earlier this year. Um, there were cars that started to get broken into. Um, and there were eggs being thrown by, I guess, teenagers or something. And, um, and so we did what every Amer- red-blooded American neighborhood would do. We, we formed a militia. You know, uh, we called it Neighborhood Watch. That's what we called it. Um, and uh, I'm, I'm on it, and so I do my little, uh, there's something that's really empowering about putting these magnetic stickers on your car that say Neighborhood Watch. And uh, every night for a week, you drive around the neighborhood for 15 minutes. Like we're really, you know, solving the problem because I do it right before I go to bed. It's like right before 10 o'clock. And that's like when nothing's really happening. But I, I, <laughs> I tour the neighborhood for 15 minutes. Like, I'm going to fix the neighborhood. But I, I did it because I wanted to try to get to know some of my neighbors, and it really hasn't worked. Uh, <laughs> but, um, you know, the, the, I just I come home, and I tell the kids, you know, did you feel safe? I was in the neighborhood for 15 <laughs> minutes. Um, but, uh, and so it's been our attempt to sort of keep it Norman Rockwell style uh, down out there. Um, there was also something that was done. We formed a Facebook page, okay, to sort of keep everybody informed about the bad things that are happening. And so this was... Um, it's almost embarrassing, but they, there was a, a notice went out that there were black widow spiders in the neighborhood. <laughs> you know, what, what kind of problems do we have? You know, black widow spiders. I did see one in my neighborhood. And I stepped on it. And I was in my backyard. But this was the other thing that happened that I thought was kind of indicative. I mean, it's, it's, I'm trying to contrast how crazy it is, what we think are problems, at least some people, right? Um, this was, this was a thing that went out um, on the Facebook page, kind of a, sort of a heads up, hey, neighbors, this is going on. And I need to tell you before I read this thing from the Facebook page, uh, what goes on, at least with me. Okay, our house backs up to some woods. And, our ne- and so in the mornings, periodically, I mean, I'll, I'll open up the blinds. Actually, Sherry always typically does that. I'll kind of look out there. And I promise you I've done this. Um, I will think back on the Sermon on the Mount when Jesus was talking about, you know, don't worry. Because when I look at my backyards, there are a lot of bunny rabbits. I've seen a deer kind of go by one time. But usually bunny rabbits, there are um, birds that fly in our neighborhood. They're looking for worms and things. And my wife, um, uh, Sherry, does a great job of planting flowers. So I can look, and I can remember the words of Jesus about, hey, don't worry, he says. right? And he says, and, and if he had PowerPoint, he'd be you know, doing the PowerPoint saying, look. But he, he didn't have PowerPoint. He would point to the birds. And he would point to the birds, and he says, look at the birds. Don't worry. They don't worry about what they wear and what they're going to eat. Okay? They, they, they don't store up in barns, but their Heavenly Father feeds them. And, and then look at the lilies of the field. You know, they're, they're, Don't worry about what you're going to wear. The lilies are more beautiful than anything in the world. Even Solomon would be jealous of what they wear. And so I can, I can remember that does encourage me when I get worried. I go, yeah, God's going to take care of the Nashes. They're going to, he's going to take care of my family. Now, remember that when I tell you about this Facebook Sort of heads up that I went out to the neighborhood. Here it is. This is a woman in our neighborhood that put this out, warning everybody. I was watering plants on my patio this afternoon when a hawk swooped down very close to me and grabbed a little furry animal. Um, I, I couldn't tell if it was a bunny or a mouse or whatever. I just wanted to give heads up if anyone has a small pet in the yard. The hawk was not intimidated by my presence at all. <laughs> I, I think that was my favorite line. Um, 
Okay, so now all, look, so all that to say, okay, could we all, I mean, like, why, why are those problems, right? What, what, um, but we all, I think all of us have a picture of how we think our lives should go. Um, and, and I think all of us in this room can say that we, um, we've been through relational tension somehow in our lives, you know, just relationally, we've, we've experienced it, you know, whether it's with our kids, with our parents, with our neighbors' relation, we've all done that. We've all experienced a Thanksgiving meal or some sort of gathering that you wanted uh, where a catastrophe happened. Something, something happened. A hawk swooped in, whatever it was, and just ruined whatever that thing was going on. Right? You know. You, you try to set it up. You want to have a good time with your kids, but then something happens. It all, there are just things in the world. There are hawks that swoop in and ruin gatherings. So here's the deal. So when I read the book of Acts, when I'm in that chapter 2, and I'm reading about how great things are. They were, you know, they were together. They had glad hearts. They were sharing meals. They were selling possessions and giving them away. They were doing all these wonderful things. They had such good connection relationally that even people outside were looking on with marvel and wonder. You know? And we go, oh, that just seems too good to be true. Um, it just seems like it's not reachable. Um, you know, I would ask, well, what's wrong with this picture? You know, the hawk just hasn't swooped in yet <laughs> to ruin that gathering. So here's the, really the point. I want to be real about this. It's, um, it's, really not, it's really hard not to have a Norman Rockwell picture of our lives and how it should go. I don't care where you are, you know, what part of town you live in, you have an idea of how your life should go. Uh, and we paint our worlds just like Norman Rockwell painted his paintings. Um, and so it, it startles us on some level when something goes wrong. We're still kind of startled by it. Like, well, you know, well, how did this happen? Or why can this happen? Why did this happen? When, when the unexpected hawk of, like, of sickness shows up in our lives. That's, that's a hawk that swoops in and steals our joy, right, when we get sick. Or someone we love gets sick. Or someone we love is struggling with some sickness that is just, you know, goes on for months and months and years. Um, or maybe we just are dealing with impossible people. You just, we, we, when you gather a group of people like this, listen, there are impossible people in this group. Okay? And if you're thinking, well, I don't know any impossible people, guess what? You're it. Right? Right? So you, when you, it just happens. Amen. That's, yeah, I'm all for that. And so we think about it because it's impossible people. Um, there are horrible choices that others make that affect everyone around them. It affects you, it affects groups like this, it affects whole neighborhoods that are just right out this door. Horrible decisions that people have made, things that, um, that they're doing that are affecting everyone around them. And guess what? There are horrible choices that you've made that affect everyone around you. In fact, some of the choices that you've made, some of the things you've done in your life, they, um, <clears throat> you get to that place where you're just tired of disappointing people. You're just so tired of it. You're tired of you disappointing others, and so you separate yourself. You don't even want to participate in a community like the one in Acts chapter 2. You just say, it's just too good to be true. Hey, if they have me, I'll ruin it. And so there's so many things that fight against us. There are so many hawks that swoop in and, and, and come to destroy the possibility of a community like this happening this year, right now, in this part of Huntsville. And so what do we do? And, and here's the other thing. Uh, our presence doesn't intimidate anything from, ha you know, it, our presence doesn't keep any hawks away, right? Even if we think to ourselves that, um, you know, this isn't fair. We start screaming that this isn't fair, this is happening. It's like the hawks aren't intimidated by any cry of this is unfair. Or any, any, there are no hawks that come in that we can keep away because we're smart. 
my intelligence should be able to uh, keep this group together or keep, you know, our effectual reaching of this neighborhood is going to be spearheaded by my intelligence, by my, my, you know, me getting in there and doing this. The hawks aren't intimidated by that. Things still happen. They still do. I think most of us here, I would say, are wondering why the picture of a gathering of people full of joy, engaging in rich, rich connected lives together, over a regular meal, that's what we're seeing in Acts chapter 2. Uh, they have regular meetings, um, and, and, and there's joy, there's generosity, there's a whole outside world that looks on with envy, and we're just saying that this is just, this seems too naive and crazy. It just can't work today in 2012. You know, and we look at this, and it just seems naive. It seems like it's just too good to be true. It's like Norman Rockwell painted this picture. But why does it seem so unreachable? Um, now, here's the thing, though. Let's just for a moment say it, does, it is unreachable. Even those of us in this room that we consider ourselves introverts, we just, you know, it's hard for us to be with people. Um, you know, we desire a place where we could be ourselves. Even if we say it's not possible, I don't know how to get this, but even if you think it's naive or impossible and you're an introvert, you want a community like this. You want something like that. You want something like Acts chapter 2 where everybody's joyous and they're giving and you can fit in even when you don't fit in. You fit in. You want something like that. I do. Um, We all desire a a place to be yourself. Now, what if I told you, though, it wasn't unreachable, but the way that it was reachable is actually almost something that you maybe not have really even thought of. You may say, this just seems so naive. Acts chapter 2, that's naive. This is 2012. What if I told you it's not? What if I told you that this picture is, isn't too good to be true? There's nothing wrong with that picture. There is a way. It's an unexpected way for your hearts to be glad and generous, that you can find yourself wanting to be together. Finally, you, you say, I don't know if I ever want to be together with a group like that, but what if I could told you, if you, you there is a way for you to find yourself wanting to be together with a group like that, even if you've been there the last time in some group where you gave your heart away and they stomped all over it, some hawk sort of swooped in and ruined it all, even if you've been there before, what if I told you there's a way to get back there into that backyard where things do swoop in, but that you know, God's still in control? Here's what we're going to do. We're going to start at the beginning of Acts chapter 2. I'm not going to go through the whole thing. This won't be, and then two hours later, uh, I promise you. Um, But what we need to do is sort of just in our minds begin to sort of think back that really the person painting the picture in all of Acts is not Norman Rockwell. It's the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is painting the picture for us of what the body of Christ looks like, of how God acts in the world. And it's the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is real. He's not Norman Rockwell. There's a lot of realism in Acts chapter 2 because it didn't take long right after this portion of Acts chapter 2 for the hawks start to swoop in. Because in Acts chapter 5, uh, Ananias and Sapphira, you know that story? You know, a husband and wife, that they sort of lied, they lied to God and lied to the whole group and God killed them right there for everyone to see. God took them out. So the hawks start to swoop in. I mean, think about it. What if, can you imagine a group like this, a couple lying to you guys and, and God just killed them? Imagine how that would change everything here. I mean, it's like God swoops in. Someone dies, really, at a worship service, just stood up. And, I mean, and um, Acts chapter 5, arrests started to happen. Some of the Christians started to get arrested. Acts, I mean, Acts chapter 7, Stephen is the first martyr. He's killed um, for his faith. I mean, that, you talk about a hawk swooping in. He's killed for his faith. Um, and then the persecutions and the scatterings really begin you know, imagine being persecuted to the point where our group starts to break up and we start to scatter. 
Those are definite hawks that begin to swoop in. Norman Rockwell is not painting after Acts chapter. Uh, now he's not painting Acts. Holy Spirit is painting a picture for us. And then Acts chapter 12, uh, James, one of the original disciples, the brother of John, is killed. Um, this is not the Norman Rockwell painting the picture in Acts. It's the Holy Spirit. Now the Holy Spirit is the one who is creating the body of Christ. He's calling us. And he's calling us together and he's calling us to be sent out into this neighborhood and the blocks beyond and beyond and beyond. He sends us out. So the Holy Spirit is the one who calls us. The Holy Spirit is the one who introduces us. One of the things that we all have in common as followers of Jesus, it was the Holy Spirit who introduced us to Jesus. Um, I think back on the, uh, if, listen, if you're married or engaged, there was somebody that introduced you to your spouse possibly, right? You know who that person is. You had that person in mind. The person that introduced me to my wife, Sherry, was an, a guy in high school. He played, I played soccer with him. His name is Graham Duthie. Um, he introduced me to Sherry. Uh, he found out that I had a crush on her. And so he went to her and told her, he said, he said Bill Nash has the hots for you. <laughs> it worked. It worked. I did. I still do. I still absolutely do. I mean, look at her. Um, he told her, Bill Nash has the hots for you. Here's the thing. The Holy Spirit is the one who introduced you to Jesus or introduced Jesus to you. And I, don't, I think it would probably be heretical if I were to say that he's, you know, the Holy Spirit says, hey, Jesus has the hots for you, but I wouldn't be too far off, right? Before the foundations of the world, Jesus had a heart for us. I mean, a heart set ablaze for us. He, he was going to move heaven and hell to come and get us. And so the Holy Spirit comes and gives us a heart to receive that information. And he says, I know someone who has a heart for you that you would not believe. His name is Jesus. And when we hear that, our hearts are made glad. And that news makes us generous because we see how generous Jesus is. The Holy Spirit introduced us to Jesus. And it's the Holy Spirit who continues to convict our hearts to send us out into a world to find others to introduce, to be part of his work of introducing others to Jesus as well. And so the, the picture that is being painted um, in Acts is a picture where we, uh, the Holy Spirit introduces us to Jesus, but we are made glad by that, and we pull together as a people, and we go out into the world, and we introduce others to Jesus as well. Now, the Holy Spirit is continuously jealous for us to find fulfillment in Jesus. He just continues to work on our hearts. He continues. He doesn't stop at the introduction. He continues to work on our hearts. To, um, to convict us of sin so that we can be filled with the Spirit, to be filled in such a way that we are generous with each other and there's joy. And our, and our whole group here is transformed in such a way that the people out there see it and go, I want that. I want that. And so when the Holy Spirit fills us, our conversations turn into praises. And, we begin, and our whole, this whole church is transformed because of the work of the Spirit. This is not Norman Rockwell at all, y'all. This is not Norman Rockwell painting this picture. There is nothing wrong with this picture because this the Holy Spirit. It's what the Holy Spirit is doing. But here's the thing. How do we get there? If, we, if I'm to say, if I'm to summarize all that I've just said, it's the Holy Spirit in you that continually transforms you. He introduces you to Jesus, but he keeps introducing you to Jesus again and again and again because through the convicting of sin, we make room in our hearts for him to be filled. And when we're filled, we can be generous and joyful and we can change the world. 
but he keeps working. But so how do we get there? How do we get to that place where we continually we are filled? How can there be real fellowship among us here in this room? How can there be deep fellowship? How can there be community like this? It's very simple. It's the continued work of the Holy Spirit. It is the continued work of the Holy Spirit. So how do you position yourself in such a way to be affected by the Spirit continually over and over and over? Here's what I want you to do. Turn to 1 John chapter 1. 1 John chapter 1. So if you start at the end, Revelation, you kind of go backwards. It's Jude and then 1st, 2nd, 3rd John chapter 1. And I'm going to read this to you. It's from um, the NIV. So I don't have my NIV Bible. It's printed right here for me. And this is, starts in verse uh, 5 of chapter 1 of 1st John. This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with God, yet walk in, the, in darkness, we lie and do not live by the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. That last verse, um, verse 7 I'll read it again. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. Uh, here's the truth. You can't have relationships with unreal people. If they don't let you in, you can't have real relationships. If they sort of put up a front and they pretend, and if you do the same thing, you can't have relationship. You can't have a relationship with unreal people. It's just an easy rule of thumb. Now, this passage says that if we walk in the light, as God is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. So the question really is, how do we walk in the light? If we're going to develop fellowship here among our, us, such a way that it's a contagious, it's wonderful, it's beautiful, it's alive, it's vibrant, it's growing because people out there see it, and God includes us in reaching um, and adding to our number, uh, how do we get there? It's walking in the light. So what does it mean to walk in the light? I mean, that's bo- bottom line I'm advocating we need to walk in the light. So what does it mean to walk in the light? There are going to be three points. All right? And here they are. If you're a note taker, I guess you would write these down. First thing that you want to be able to do is to know your own sin. That's what it means to walk in the light. Because if, if the light reveals, right? So when you get a flashlight out, you find things and you can, it reveals. But darkness hides. If you want to hide something about yourself, you, you, you figure out ways to stay in darkness. We do that through pretending. You know, we just we pretend like we're all okay, and we put on a front, we look happy, and we smile, we pretend. We're hiding. And if we do that, we can't have fellowship with one another. We perform, right? We, we do certain things to make ourselves feel better and to make you think better of me. That's a way to hide. But if we're going to have fellowship, we need to walk in the light. And so that means we can't deny our sin or make excuses for them. Uh, we, we, we don't want to do or say anything to hide what we are or what we're, whatever we've done. That would be darkness. Okay? We, need to be, we need to reveal sin in our, in our own selves to God. We have to search our hearts and ask the Holy Spirit to show sin in our lives to convict us of sin. That's what the Holy Spirit does. He introduces us to Jesus, but then he says, I'm going to continue to work on your heart to root out sin so that you can have fellowship with God, with others, with other people. So he's going to convict us. And as the Holy Spirit convicts us, what you need to do is say yes to sin. Now, I, I, I preached this before one time, and I said, uh, you need to say yes to sin. And I had a man come up to me and say, well, I have my teenage son with me, and now you're telling him to say yes to sin? And I wanted to kind of punch the guy, but um, that would have been sin. But I think he, didn't, he just sort of didn't understand what I was trying to say. So when I say you say yes to sin, I want when the Holy Spirit convicts you of sin to not deny it. Say yes, that is sin. That is sin. That's how we get free from it. That's how we walk in the light is to say yes to sin when the Holy Spirit convicts us of sin. 
Because when we walk in the light, as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. So say yes to sin when you're convicted of it. And then what happens is the Holy Spirit fills you. When the Holy Spirit fills you, you're glad and you're generous. And you give away your things. You have nothing left to prove, nothing to protect, and nothing to lose. Isn't that amazing? Don't you want to live like that? Don't you? And so when, you, when the Holy Spirit convicts you of sin, say, yes, that is sin. I'm not going to point to all the good things I've done and all the ways I've sort of hidden behind this. I'm going to walk in the light as He is in the light. And that way I have fellowship with one another. And, the, and it says that God will continually cleanse us from sin. And that's what I need. That's what you need. There's finally relief. And guess what ends up happening too? It creates in us a posture of humility. Because if we're convicted of sin, we remember, we see our sin, and we understand and we remember the bondage we are in. And that actually makes us more humble to others. And that leads to the second point. Because what we need to do is to know our sin, but we need to know the sins of others. Okay? So we need to know our sin, we need to know the sins of others. So know our sin, know the sins of others. Um, because as we're convicted of sin, it, it creates in us a posture of humility. And we see that you're in bondage, and it breaks our heart. And we don't judge people. We don't go, golly, look at them. Look what a mess they are. We go, man, look what a mess I am. Oh, I understand that bondage because I was in it. And so now you can love people without strings attached because we know it's only the Spirit convicting. We pray for a conviction, and we're in their lives, and we continually love them. But here's the deal, too. When you know someone else's sin, you need to give them grace. But what I mean by that is you have to take them to the source of grace. Now, let me read this one quick, um, because what we want to do is we want to be able to love them enough not to downplay their sin. We don't need to sort of create like a 15-minute sort of drive through their lives, you know, (laughs) just a little cursory sort of drive through their lives and go, yeah, guess what, you know, that's sin, but eh, that's not too bad. Yeah, that's sin, yeah, I wouldn't worry too much about that sin. You're really not showing them grace. We need to take them to the source of grace. Here's a quote that I think will be helpful, and then I'll explain it. This is from Tim Chester. He says, we pretend because we either don't trust God's grace for ourselves, right? We will pretend around each other if we don't trust God's grace for ourselves or we don't trust others to show us grace. See, if I don't trust you to show me grace, I'll hide, okay? But here's the truth. Now, when we show someone grace, you just can't show them grace. You have to actually show them the source of grace because if we think it's just sort of playing God, like, ah, that's sin, that's not too bad, it really doesn't help them. Let me explain. Um, if someone comes to you and they're convicted of sin and they tell you, here's the sin I've done, the worst thing you can do to them is go, ah, you know, that's not so bad or that's understandable. The best thing you can do is take them to the source of grace by saying this, yeah, that is sin. Because guess what? You're doing that in your life. When God convicts you of sin, you go, yep, that's sin. I'm not going to hide. So when someone shows you sin in their lives, go, yep, that's sin. And you deserve hell. You deserve judgment. You deserve to be cast out of this world and this group of people, but Jesus. But Jesus, right? But Jesus, and you take them to the source where you found grace, and it's a fountain filled with blood from Emmanuel's veins, right? And you take them to that fountain because here's the truth. What you have to do is you have to know your sin. You have to know the sins of others, but you have to know there is a fountain, If you know there's a fountain, you can take them there. Because here's the truth. Um, You and I are the ones um, that ruined our neighborhoods, all right? You know, there are these kids we have in mind that threw eggs and broke into cars, you know? But the truth is, we're the ones that ruin our neighborhoods. We get it. We know it's our sin. We've ruined every family gathering we've been at. 
some way or another because of our sin. We're the hawk that swooped in and screwed up the backyard that was nice and tranquil. Whatever it is in your life, you and I are the ones that ruined it. It's our sin that ruins it. It's our sin that ruins this church. It, it causes the troubles. We, we have to know that. We know it's our sin. We know it's the sins of others. But we, what we have to do is walk in the light. And here's the truth. If you know there's a fountain filled with the blood of Jesus that is just endless and it'll cover your sins, if you know that, you can face the light. Right? And you, Because normally, if you thought there was no way my sin could be paid for, then you would hide. But if you know there's a fountain, you can walk in the light and you can confess sins to each other. You can listen to someone else's sin and not downplay it. You can go, yep, that's sin. And you're a mess. And you deserve hell. But let me show you, Jesus paid the price for that. That is walking in the light. And when we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And we have that kind of fellowship. It's contagious. It'll bust out of these doors. This neighborhood will change in ways you never even imagined. It'll go off to the next block and the block after that. It'll be because the Spirit is doing it through you because he starts with your heart. And he doesn't let you get away with downplaying someone else's sin. But you take them to the fountain because you know your sin, their sin, and you know the fountain. That's, that is true fellowship. That is walking in the light. But let me tell you this, this last little deal here. When the Holy Spirit introduced you to Jesus and he said, Jesus has the hearts for you, you know, he, he has a heart for you, that heart goes back before the foundations of the world. Scripture is full of pointing us to the blood of Jesus. I'm going to give you four passages that are sort of in rapid succession here. Uh, Zechariah 13.1, because I want you to see that this has been on God's heart forever. And he's been painting this picture before the foundations of the world. And it's a beautiful picture that we will marvel at. We won't look at it like a Norman Rockwell painting and go, man, that was in you know, the 30s. That was when you know, things were horrible in America. There was segregation. There was all this crap. We won't look at that painting that God is painting. We'll go, amazing. It's true. It's real. And he's been painting this since way before the foundations of the world. This is Zechariah 13.1. On that day there shall be a fountain open for the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem to cleanse them from their sin and uncleanness. Hallelujah. Uh, Exodus 12, 13, The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, God says, I will pass over you. Hallelujah. And no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. Amen. Ephesians 2, 13, But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. It's the blood of Christ. It's the fountain of Jesus' blood from Emmanuel. Um, Romans 3, 23 and 25. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by what? His blood to be, to be received by faith. Propitiation is one of those words like, what does that mean? I used to think it was sort of like Superman standing, you know, sort of before, between God and, you know, me, and the, sort of his, his wrath bounced off of uh, Jesus. Jesus absorbs and exhausts, that's the key word, exhausts the wrath of God. He drank the wrath of God down, the, the, the cup of God's wrath, drank it fully. There's none left. He, there is no more wrath left because Jesus took it all. And that means there is a fountain filled with his blood. And so you can walk in the light. You can, you can go into the light because you know there's a fountain that will cover every sin that you're hiding and you're holding on to and you're denying. You can let it go. There's nothing for you to prove, protect, or lose. 
Isn't that amazing? That's amazing. What's wrong with this picture? There's nothing wrong with it. It's a beautiful picture that God's painting. Uh, what's wrong with a picture of a community of people with nothing to prove or protect or lose? There's nothing wrong with that picture. It's real. God's painting it. Uh, what's wrong with this picture um, with a group of people that know there is a fountain filled with an endless supply of Jesus' blood to cover every sin? There's nothing wrong with that picture. Now imagine Village Church, just for a moment. Imagine this church. Imagine that you know, you're his bride. Now imagine this church filled with the Holy Spirit where we are walking in the light together. We're letting, we know there's a fountain so filled with the blood of Jesus, and so we step into the light with our sin. We don't deny it anymore. We know, and we're convicted of it. We say yes to sin rather than deny it, and the Spirit fills us. And that we're filled with the Spirit, and then now we're glad and generous. And the Word says, though, when that happens, we will join the Spirit in introducing people to Jesus. It'll spill out these doors. This neighborhood will never be the same. The blocks beyond here will never be the same. You'll never be the same. We'll never be the same together. It's not utopian. This is not Norman Rockwell painting this. This is the Holy Spirit. It's real. It's made up of real people, not unreal people. Unreal people deny their sins. Real people walk in the light because they know there's a fountain filled with his blood. You know your sin. You know the sins of others, too. And here's the thing. Um, You don't have to be the neighborhood watch. You don't have to figure out what your 15 minutes is to sort of cruise around and fix everybody. Because you are convicted of sin, you're actually going to love people. You're not going to give them 15 minutes. You're going to give them your life. You know, you're going to give them the gospel, but even more than that, you're going to give them the, your life. It's not be a, it won't be a 15-minute drive. It's going to be deeper than that. Because you know you can't fix them. It's the Spirit. And you just, we're patient. We can love people. We'll, it will, we'll let it take forever. It's the Spirit anyways. You have nothing to lose. Nothing to protect. Nothing to prove. Now, here's the one last little deal. Um, actually, you know, you'll, you'll walk in a posture of humility also because you know what it takes to walk in a light and what it took to fill that fountain full of Jesus' blood. And that'll, make, that'll humble you. But here's the last thing. Um, we know that this church won't be perfect. We know our gatherings won't be perfect. We won't know if whatever thing we come up with and you guys come up with to reach the neighborhood, it won't be perfect. And it doesn't have to be. It doesn't have to be. Why? Because you know there is a perfect neighborhood gathering that our bridegroom, Jesus, is gathering to one day we'll be there. We don't have to have everything perfect here. We can try things, go for it. I mean, really go for it. It doesn't have to be perfect because there is a perfect gathering one day in heaven. The the marriage supper of the Lamb. Jesus is awaiting for us to have that perfect backyard gathering where there are no hawks that swoop through. (laughs) You know, the, the neighborhood watches have all ended. There's no more need for that. There's no more need to fix people. Um, and if we don't fix a lot of people, that's okay too. Because one day, someday, all the people Jesus died for are going to be gathered. And it's going to be you and me. And it's all going to be okay. So we have nothing to lose now, nothing to prove, nothing to protect. Go for it. Right? Walk in the light as he is in the light. When the Holy Spirit convicts you of sin, say yes to sin. Um, when you see sin in others, don't downplay it. Point out their sin. But take them to the fountain filled with the blood of Jesus. Just take them to the source of grace. Just don't give them your grace, whatever you think grace is. Take them to the source of grace. Think about a community like that. Think about what we can do to change this world, the spirit through us. Be glad because that's the truth. Be generous because that's the truth. And go and reach the world because that's the truth. Amen? Let's pray. Father, um, thank you. Thank you that we can walk in the light as you are in the light. 
that we have nothing to hide. We don't want to walk in darkness. We don't want um, um, what we can make of this world uh, to be something that we hide behind. or We don't want our goodness to be something we hide behind. We want your spirit to convict us more and more because we want to walk in the light. We want to be freed of this sin. We want to walk in a posture of humility. And Father, um, we want to take people to the source of grace. Not some idea of what we think grace is, but to the very source of grace, the fountain filled with the blood of Jesus so that um, the picture that you're painting, we're we're part of it. Um, And uh, gladly so, Father. Thank you for your word. In Christ's name, amen. Amen. Um, so do you guys sing? Or? I always mess this up.